You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse number 6, the Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do we want to please God? Do we want to impress God? We have a great God. We have a great Savior. And we can get saved by faith, but what about living by faith? Spurgeon put it this way. He said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. God help us to have that kind of faith. How is our faith? Do we have a faith that impresses God? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, this time and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. There was a Christian couple on their way home from church one Sunday morning, and their little boy Johnny in the back, four years old, said, Mom, let me tell you about how Moses and the children of Israel got across the Red Sea. And his mom said, okay. He said, well, Moses sent out his engineers, and they surveyed this situation, and they they figured they had to make it with some pylons out in the middle there, and so they brought in the construction crew, and they put the pylons in. They built a bridge across. They got all the children of Israel across. And then you find that Pharaoh and his army tried to do the same thing, and and God sent some, some, some dive bombers on it and blew up the bridge and all Pharaoh's army drowned. And that was the end of the story. Of course, mom recognized that's not the way it happened in the Bible. She said, little Johnny, that's, that's not exactly how it happened, is it? Johnny said, well, no, mom, but if I told you how it really happened, you wouldn't believe me in a million years. <laughs> Take faith. I'd like to talk about faith today and actually a faith that impresses God. A faith that impresses God. We find it here in Matthew chapter 15. We pick up the story in verse 21. It said, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried out unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, or begged him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. We find our Savior actually impressed with the faith that he saw here. God actually impressed. And that's what we'd like to talk about, a faith that impresses God. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before Thee at this time. We ask that You would uh, still our hearts from the activities of the day or the week or the coming week and help us now to listen carefully. Please enhance now our personal faith, our family faith, and the faith of this church, Fargo Baptist. Father, we ask You to please use now this time and Thy Word to strengthen us and make us what we ought to be. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many have heard of George Mueller. How many have heard of him? He was 
a great man of prayer. He actually got saved as, I think, around a 20-year-old. And he was a great man of faith and a great man of prayer. He was a rebel before he got saved. He was from Bristol's England. But after he got saved, boy, I'll tell you, with the same zeal he used to serve the devil before, he served God after. And they say that he prayed in somewhere around of 4 million pounds, which is unbelievable, that amount of money, and, and watch God answer one prayer after another. George Mueller was coming over to the, uh, the States here, actually North America, to preach in Quebec, and he was on a ship, and the fog was so thick, the ship had stopped and parked, and George Mueller had to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. He went and he saw the captain. He said, Captain, what's the issue? And, and the captain said, it's this fog. I've never seen anything like this in years of sailing the seas. And and George Mueller said, well, I've got to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. And, the, and, and the, the captain said, you won't make that. There's just no way we can go forward with this fog. And George Mueller said, Captain, he said, I've, I've seen the Lord come through time and time again over these 57 years that I've known him. Let's go down below deck into my cabin and let's pray. Well, the captain followed along thinking this guy's some kind of a lunatic. He's nuts, but reluctantly followed along and They got into the cabin, and and George Mueller got on his knees, so awkwardly the captain joined him on his knees, and the captain later testified that George Mueller, he prayed one of the most simple prayers you'd ever hear in your life, and when he got done, he said, Captain, it's your turn. The captain kind of stuttered, and he stammered, and and, uh, finally he felt a hand on his shoulder, it was Mueller, and he said, that's all right, Captain, It, uh, it wouldn't do any good anyway, and then they both rose to their feet, and he looked the captain in the eye, and he said, For 57 years, I've never failed to gain an audience with the King of Kings. And he said, open the door, Captain, the fog is gone. And they opened the door, and sure enough, the the fog was gone. You know, that is faith, folks. That is powerful faith. That is impressive faith. When something is impressive, it stirs us. It is effective. It is inspiring. It is moving. If something is impressive, it's thrilling, and and it's remarkable, and, and it makes us say, wow. Could we actually wow God with our faith? Could we have a faith that really impresses God? Now, I'm not going to say that God is hard to impress, but can you imagine, you know, everything God has seen and everything God knows? There are some people that are hard to impress, aren't there? And in the day and age of the kids in which are growing up with all this stuff, they're, they're getting hard to wow, aren't they? And there's other people, they're hard to wow. But how do you impress God? Here's Jesus Christ, God in flesh, the creator of everything. And he's actually impressed by the faith of this woman. And I'm not saying Christ was easy to impress. In fact, the, uh, the apostles at another time in Matthew 24 were showing him through the temple that Herod had been overhauling and all the improvements that were being done. And it was decades in, in building and remodeling like he was supposed to be impressed And he wasn't. He said, see all these buildings? He said, the day's coming. There's not going to be one stone left upon another here. It takes some faith to impress Jesus Christ because Christ saw a lot of unfaith during his days. In fact, there were times when he was preaching his area there of of Capernaum and Nazareth and that region of Galilee, his county, if you will. And there were times where the Bible would say he marveled, not at their faith, he marveled at what? Their unbelief. I mean, he was, he was shocked at how hard-hearted and unbelieving they were. You know, there are other times that Christ was around people and their faith was not very impressive. Remember when Peter got out of the boat and he was walking on water and he was doing great. 
And he's sinking in the water. Why? Because of no faith. And Christ comes up to him and he says, Oh, ye of little faith. I think of Thomas who even doubted the resurrection and, and Christ had to show up and say, Put your, your finger in the holes in my wrist and behold the hole in my side. It's me. And be not faithless, but believe. But here's a woman in, in our text here and she actually impresses Christ with her faith. And he says in verse 28, Oh, woman, great is thy faith. He was impressed. You know what's really amazing about this woman? is She was a Syrophoenician, and, and she was a, a, a woman who was a pagan and a heathen and, and from a Gentile people, and yet Christ was able to say, Great is thy faith. We find in verse 21 that she was a, a woman of Tyre in Sidon. That was a pagan area, Tyre and Sidon. In fact, way back in, the, in the, the days of the flood, you find that as they get off the boat, the Bible says in Genesis 10 that Noah begat Ham, Ham begat Canaan, and Canaan goes on, and, and he begat Sidon. And that's really where that people came from. Bad lineage, bad start, really pagan, heathen people. And yet this woman has this faith that impresses God. It's really an incredible story, an encouraging one to me. We find in it several things. First of all, we find the dilemma. In verse 21, we back up. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre in Sidon. That was the uh, coast of the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea. And, and these towns were um, not twin cities. They were about 20 miles apart, but they were both seaport towns, very well-known towns, two principal cities of Phoenicia, about 100 miles northwest of Jerusalem. You can picture it there, kind of up along the Mediterranean coast. It was a seaport town in the days of David, a seaport town in the days of, of Solomon. They would bring the trees back from Lebanon and float them back down there. Uh, it was a seaport town in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and even in the days of Alexander the Great uh, later on. But it was a Gentile region and it was a heathen place. There were only a few times that Christ strayed from the boundaries of Israel. He stayed amongst the Jews for the most part, but here he's wandering out. He's going into a Gentile area. I don't know why. I know that uh, they were after him to kill him as of late, and maybe he's wanting to stay concealed or uh, stay in safety, or maybe just wanting to rest. I don't know. But for some reason, he goes to this region, and, and Jesus referred to it back in Matthew 11. You don't need to turn there. But in verse 21, he's cursing some areas. And he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Basidia. Those are, those are Jewish communities. He said, For if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he makes reference to Tyre and Sidon, the area that he's now wandered into where this lady is from. We pick it up in verse 22 back here in Matthew 15. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Here we find a woman in turmoil, tormented. Her daughter is demon-possessed. We find here the cry of motherhood. Her heart is breaking. Her daughter is suffering. And she has a request for Jesus. It's not for herself. It was for her daughter here. She also mentions in verse 22 that he's the son of David. Notice that. He said, thou, she said, thou son of David. She'd been reading her Bible apparently because she knew who the son of David would be. It would be the Messiah. You know, back yonder down in Israel, there are a lot of Jewish people, even the chief priests 
who are denying that, who are rejecting Christ as a Messiah. This woman got it. She got it. She said, you're the son of David. And so apparently she had been reading the scrolls of the Old Testament. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And she had faith. She had faith in what Jesus Christ could do. She mentions also in verse number 22, have mercy on me. Mercy on me. People were continually appealing to Jesus Christ for mercy. We find back in Matthew chapter 9, you need not turn there, but in verse number 27, the Bible says that Jesus departed thence and two blind men followed him crying and saying, the son of David, have mercy on us. And then you find in Matthew chapter 17, some other folks asking for mercy. In verse 14, the Bible says that there was a certain man kneeling down, coming to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. And oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to the water and so on. The disciples couldn't help him, but Jesus had mercy on this man. We also find some lepers over in Luke 17 who lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so Christ was often appealed to for mercy, included by this woman here. We find the dilemma. But back here in Matthew chapter 15, we find secondly, the discouragement. The discouragement. In verse 23, it says, but he answered her not a word. He answered her not a word. She's saying, Jesus, thou thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Christ ignores her. You know, this gal had three strikes on her. Ladies, don't take this wrong. But if you understand Bible times, first of all, she was a woman. She was a woman. I think if you studied the Bible, you, you would know that Christianity has elevated womanhood to this, this platform, this plateau. But back in those days, if you're a woman, you know, the, the Jews, at least the, the, uh, the Pharisees, would thank God that they weren't a woman, if you can imagine that. So she had that strike against her. But secondly, she was a Gentile. That's a huge strike against her. Thirdly, she was a nobody. Her husband's not even here with her. And as far as we know, she was probably a single mom or a divorcee or a widow. And so she's a woman. She's a a Gentile. She's an absolute nobody. And yet she's coming to Christ for a favor. And Jesus is completely ignoring her. Can you imagine that? You know, I, I think of Psalm 28.1. The psalmist said, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord. Be not silent unto me. You ever felt that the heavens were brass and God was silent as you were crying out to him? Here's the, the God of mercy, and she's appealed to his mercy, but he's speechless. The Bible says he answered her not a word. Have you ever felt like God is not answering your cry, your prayer, your plea? In Lamentations 3.8, Jeremiah the prophet said, When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. You ever feel that way? You cry out to God, but he shuts out your prayer. You know, the great Spurgeon of the latter 1800s, that prince of preachers, had this to say about this text here. He said, what's with this woman and what's with Christ's reaction to her? Was her prayer not good? No, it was good. Was she not respectful? Yes, she was respectful. Well, was her case a needy one? Yes, it was a needy one. Well, was she in sorrow? Yes, she would in sorrow. So why would Jesus Christ ignore her? Or did he ignore her? 
Did he tell her no, or is this just a delay? Is this just a trial of faith? You know, the Bible in 1 Peter 1 speaks of the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth. We don't look at trials that way, do we? We don't look at delays that way. We take it as a, uh, a shunning, as a no, as a rejection. But we find here it wasn't any of that. It was just a delay. And sometimes before we can have impressive faith or a, a faith that impresses God, there's going to be a delay. God's going to see what we're made of. You ever had a delay and then the answer comes? I'm thinking of a prayer request right now sometime back where I prayed to God for a month and two months and three months and, and four months. And I think it took probably five or six months and the answer came. And I thought to myself, praise God. You know, years ago, we had a preacher in this pulpit who said, whatever time, whatever duration you spend praying for something, when God answers that prayer, you ought to flip it around and spend the same time thanking God for the answered prayer. You know, it took 29 years for my parents to get saved. I've been thanking God for that ever since. I got a lot of years to go yet. But sometimes there's a delay. There's a delay. You say, but I don't understand why God is is, is waiting here. We don't have to understand. Many years ago, there was a young Bible college student, last name Talmadge. He became very famous later on. But when he was in Bible college, he is one of these students, and we've got him, and he was always questioning things. Well, if God is this, then why that? And if God is that, why this? And and the professor listened to this day after day at the... uh, the, uh, the seminary, and finally he had enough, and he said, Mr. T, he said, you will have to let God know some things that you don't know. And that was the end of all those cynical questions. Folks, you and I will have to let God know some things that we don't know. We will have to let God be God. He has not fallen off his throne. He is still sovereign, and he is still in control. So in verse number 23, the Bible says, but he answered her not a word. And... His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Well, in verse number 24, he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who's he talking to here? He's still not talking to the woman. He hasn't turned to her and explained, I'm only sent to the Jewish people. No, he's still ignoring her. Cold shoulder. He turns to the apostles and answers them and says, Fellas, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel here. And so he's still ignoring her. You know, you find a pattern, and and I'm going to quote you from Matthew chapter 10. Notice in verses 5 and 6 what Christ says. He says, Go not unto the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was the pattern. Christ said, Stick with the Jewish people. Go witness, go give the gospel, but don't go to anyone but to the lost sheep of Israel. You say, why would he do that? Well, later on, he would go to everybody. Later on, he'd say, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But at this particular time, he said, stick with the Jews. And honestly, it would have been impossible to evangelize the Jews and the Gentiles at the same time. If Christ would have focused on both, the Jews would have totally rejected the gospel. And they would have gotten bitter and Christ would have lost his influence. So he knew he had to start with the Jews, but he knew it would broaden out and have this ripple effect to the Gentiles eventually. And after Calvary and after the resurrection, 
we're to go to everybody. After the ascension, we're to go to every creature. You know, it was Paul's practice, though, to start with the Jews. If you've studied the Bible, you find that he would go to the Jewish people. He'd come to a town. He'd witness to the Jews first. He'd go to the synagogue. And when they rejected the gospel, then he would turn to the Gentiles. In fact, in Acts 13, 46, the Jews rejected the truth. They contradicted and blasphemed Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. I think I'm, I'm speaking mainly to Gentiles here today, and aren't you glad that the Gentiles have gotten the gospel as well? We see the discouragement here with this lady. Thirdly, we see the delay. In verse number 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice she worshipped him. We talked earlier today about, oh, how we ought to worship the Lord. Is there anything wrong with worshipping Jesus? Was he just a man like the cults say? Is that blasphemy? Is that idolatry? I mean, if he were just a man, he shouldn't have been worshipped. We find places in the Bible, like in Acts, where Cornelius in chapter 10 tries to worship Peter. He's so overwhelmed. Here's an apostle. And Peter grabs him and he says, up, I'm a man also. You don't worship men. In the book of the Revelation, we find John getting the the revelation from an angel. And he's so overwhelmed. And he knew better. But he falls down and he worships the angel. And the angel rebukes him. He says, don't do that. Worship God only. So here's a woman, and she's worshiping Christ. Is there anything wrong with that? No. We should worship Him. Let every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is worthy of our worship. The cults say that He was not God, but we find He's every bit God the Son. In fact, just across the page in Matthew 14, and in verse 33, after He had walked on the water, It says, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Jesus is worthy of our worship. We find after the resurrection, there's women in Matthew 28 that hold him by the feet and worship him. We find later on where Thomas finally believes in the resurrection, and he says, my Lord and my God, and he worshipped him. So this woman worships him. I love that. Instead of being discouraged, it just makes her more earnest. She's turned down. She's given the buzzer. She's rejected. She's, she's given the cold shoulder, if you will, in silence. But she becomes the more earnest, the more zealous, the more determined. We see her determination. You know, James 1.3 says, knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. When there's a delay, folks, we ought to dig in harder. Now, how do we get to the place where we have a faith that impresses God? Notice in verse number 25 again. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat, that word means fit, to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Wow. It is not fit. It is not appropriate. It is not suitable to take that which belongs to the Jewish people and give it to dogs. Christ calls her a dog here. That was the 
the expression of the highest contempt back in those days. Dogs weren't pets for the most part back in those days. They were strays. They were like coyotes. They were mutts. They were nuisances. It's like, get them out of here. And it was a common Jewish expression to call a Gentile a dog. That was really not a compliment. And she knew it instantly. She knew he's called me a dog. I I get it. He thinks I'm a dog. Now, Paul sums up later on how in the past we were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and and he's talking about the Gentile people in Ephesians 2. But at the time of Christ here, this was a nasty name. He called this woman a dog. Well, he wasn't name-calling. Please don't get him wrong here. He was trying to enhance her faith. Honestly, he was trying her faith. And yet, more severe words have never come from the mild lips of the Son of God than these which we've just looked at here. Had the Lamb of God become the lion? How could he say this to this woman? On top of ignoring her, when he does refer to her, he calls her a dog. Well, again, this was not a no. He's, he's going to help her. This is just a divine delay He knew it was a divine delay. Sometimes life contains divine delays. Sometimes they're long delays. I think of Sarah waiting a long time till age 90 to finally have children, if you can imagine that. I think of Joseph dreaming a dream, and it takes years for that dream to come to pass. That was a divine delay. I think of Moses who spent 40 years out there in the wilderness thinking he's washed up and done with his ministry, but God wasn't done with him. It was just a delay. And Joshua and the children of Israel marched around Jericho day after day for seven days. It was just a delay. You know, when Lazarus died, Christ waited a few days to even head out. Did that mean he wasn't going to help Lazarus? No, it was just a delay. You know, Job put it this way in Job 23. He said, when you're tried, the trial of your faith shall make you as gold in so many words. Where there's trials, there is grace and And Jesus knew all along he was going to help this woman. And how many people have benefited from the story of this woman years later? We find here the dilemma, the discouragement, the delay. But fourthly, we find a determination. A determination. In verse 26, it says, But he answered and said, It is not meat or fit to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. In verse 27, she said, Truth, Lord... Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, when he insulted her, as it looks on the surface anyway, she could have walked away. Dog? Why never? Hmm, you know, and strutted off and lost a great blessing. But she didn't do that, did she? You know, I think of, of how many Christians, us Christians, who have lost out on a blessing because we threw in the towel, because we gave up. Many years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of, of John R. Rice. Many of you have heard of John R. Rice. He said in a sermon one time that he had dreamed a dream. And in his dream, he had gone to heaven. And in heaven, he was shown through all the beautiful rooms there and the mansions and, and all that heaven has. But an angel took him to this one room, and it was huge. It was the size of this sanctuary, if you will. And it was just plumb full of presents stacked to the ceiling. And Dr. Rice said to the angel in his dream, he said, what are all these gifts in here? And the angel looked down and he said, well, sadly, those are the things that God's children could have had if they hadn't given up. 
things that God wanted to bless them with. You know, sometimes we quit too easily, folks. Have we ever, have we ever quit before the blessing came? You know, only heaven will, help, will tell, but, but at, at times we quit because the answer is delayed. The answer to this woman is delayed here, but she's not deterred at all. She says in so many words, Lord, the Jews are rejecting you. I'll take the crumbs. I'll be like that dog under the table. I'll accept my place as a dog. And she had this faith that impressed the Lord. She had this humility that impressed the Lord. You know, the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. We find that she's not only humble, but we find that she is determined. If she was a dog, she was a bulldog. She was a pit bull. (laughs) She was determined. She was a determined dog, if you will. She was not letting go. God help us. Do we let go too easily? Do we give up too easily? You know, I like the story back in Genesis of Jacob wrestling the angel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's Genesis 32. And they wrestle into the night. And finally, the day is breaking. And the angel said, I've got to leave now. And Jacob said this, I will not let thee go except you bless me. The choir sings a song by that title. I absolutely love that song. I will not let thee go unless you bless me. Where are the Christians who say, I am not going to let go? You know, I've seen some Christians quit pretty easily over the years. God help us not to give in. God might just want to see what we're made of. You ever thought of that? God might just want to see what you're made of, what I'm made of. In Deuteronomy 8.2, it says, The Lord led thee 40 years to humble and to prove thee and to know what is in your heart. Moses tells the people of Israel, the Lord has led thee these, these 40 years. He's, he's let these, these troubles and these trials come into your life to prove thee, to see what you're made of. There was a, uh, a missionary and his wife many years ago by the name of Robert Moffat and Mary Moffat, and you probably heard of them. They went to, to Africa and they labored for years. They labored for two years and nobody got saved. They labored for four years, nobody got saved. Five years, nobody got saved. Seven years, nobody got saved. They were in Africa ten years and still nobody had gotten saved. And back home, the church was beginning to talk and see maybe this wasn't God's will. Maybe you should come home. We should pull you off the mission field and so on. But there was one gal in the church back there in England. And she wrote and she said, she said actually to Mary Moffat, is there anything anything that we can do for you folks at all. And Mary Moffat had faith, and she wrote back, and she said, yes, send a communion set, because surely we're going to be holding the Lord's Supper service soon. After 10 years and no converts, can you imagine? Well, in those days, everything went by steamer, and it took a long time to get back there, but, but months later, the communion set arrived, and there were six converts in Africa by that time who observed the Lord's Supper service along with the Moffats. That's faith. That's faith. Hang in there. God might just want to see what we're made of. God help us to hang in there. Well, would this Gentile receive mercy? Would this gal get what she wanted? I mean, a dog, a Gentile, a non-Jew. I think of Romans chapter 3, which says, Is he the God of the Jews only? It says in so many words, no, but of the Gentile as well. We see her determination, and then finally, we see her delight, her delight. In verse 27, 
She said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know what she said in so many words? The Lord said, you're a dog. I'm here to minister to the Jews. You're a Gentile. We find here that uh, she said, you're right, I'm a dog. She admitted it. She admitted it. She said, I don't deserve any of this. I'm not worthy of this. And by the way, before Jacob got that blessing, he said the same thing. I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. That's what the prodigal son said as well. He said, Father, I just deserve to be one of your hired servants now. And so this woman basically says, yes, Lord, I agree with you, but I'll take the crumbs. And Jesus said, great is thy faith. Your daughter is made whole. And the Bible tells us at that moment, that daughter was healed. Why? Because the faith of this woman pleased the Lord. Her importunity pleased the Lord here. You know, the Bible teaches lessons. In fact, Christ taught us lessons about importunity. In Luke chapter 11, there's a parable told by Jesus about this unjust judge who would not get this woman what she wanted, and she just <laughs> warmed down. We call that importunity. He also told a parable in Luke about this friend next door who had a guest and, and wanted something from his other friend, the, the next-door neighbor, and, and uh, the neighbor wouldn't help him out, but the importunity of this neighbor wore that guy down. God loves our importunity. Don't give up. We find here that this woman won her case. She won her case. Is it okay to reason with God, by the way? When we try to win our case, if you will, or pray, is it okay for us to reason with God? That's what she did. Jesus said it's not fit to take the, the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she said, well, that's true, Lord, but the dogs will take what falls on the floor. She reasoned with them. You know, in Isaiah 118, God says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, Right? It's okay to respectfully reason with God. It's okay to remind God of His promises. There's over 7,500 promises in the Bible, and it's okay to remind God of those. So, she went home, and she found her daughter healed. What a reunion that had to be. Jesus worked a miracle long distance. It was a long-distance work. Reminds me of a story that took place Back in April of 1912, if that rings a bell, it was the very time the Titanic went down into the, the chilly waters of the Atlantic. There were a lot of people on that ship who died, but there's a story of one who did not die and should have. His name was Colonel Gracie. That's what he was known as. His wife was back home, Mrs. Gracie, asleep when she woke up with this awful feeling in the middle of the night that something was wrong. She got on her knees. She was a Christian. He was a Christian. And she began to pray fervently and, and weep and cry out for her husband. She didn't know what was going on. She just felt in her heart there was something bad wrong. And about five in the morning, it's kind of like it subsided and she felt okay. And she got off her knees and into her bed and went back to sleep. It wasn't later until later that she found out what actually happened that night. Of course, the Titanic hit the iceberg. It began to go down. Colonel Gracie was helping women and children in the lifeboat. He never expected to, to survive himself. And so when it finally collapsed into the, the chilly waters of the Atlantic there, he went down with it. He was underwater, the cold salt water, about 30 degrees. And uh, by instinct, he just tried to make his way to the top and did. 
When he got to the top after being sucked down in, he found this overturned piece of wood and, and uh, there were some others there and, and they got on this piece of wood and hours later the California uh, rescued him. But it was at the time that he was on the ship that she stopped praying knowing everything was okay and God did a miracle long distance. Do we have faith? Do we arm ourselves with faith? The Bible speaks of, of the shield of faith in Ephesians 6. Do we have faith? The faith of a, of a Caleb who would be an old man and still say, I want that mountain. The, the faith of a Jonathan who would say to his armor bearer, let's go over to that garrison of Philistines and take them on and win. The faith of a David who would go down into the valley of Elah armed with nothing but a little slingshot and a few smooth stones. The faith of the three Hebrew lads who would say to this wicked king, if you put us to death, so be it. But we're still going to trust in God. We find lepers in the Bible with faith. We find centurions in the Bible with faith, faith that impressed Christ as well. We find blind men in the, in the Bible with faith. Can we have faith? I mean, wow, faith. Do we have faith now? What are we currently doing by faith? You know that 375 years ago or so, there was a boatload of people that came over from Europe, and it was on the heels, of course, of, of Plymouth Rock and the, the pilgrims and all that. And this boatload of people came over to start a new settlement. They got this new town site settled, and they, they uh, elected uh, governors of the, of the area and, and the, the city officials and the county officials or whatever you call them there. And then they decided that they needed next to build a road. The city officials said, we need to build a road. And we need to build this road west because we're on the ocean here and the only land is west. And we need to build this road five miles long. Of course, people were up in arms going five miles long. Why will we ever need to go five miles west? Now, we smile at that as we've covered the nation from coast to coast, but they actually impeached those city officials for coming up with such a harebrained idea. And I, I, I think it odd that here's a group of people had the faith to get in a little boat like a bobber in the ocean and, and cross the ocean 3,000 miles by faith and start a new settlement, but didn't have the faith to build a road five miles long. What a, what a picture, I think, of, of, of us sometimes as born-again Christians who have the faith to call on Christ, we trust with Him, our eternity-bound soul, but then we lose our vision. We don't have the faith that we ought to have to live for the Lord. We, we're not witnessing the way we should. We're not giving the way we should by faith. We're not going the way we should by faith. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse number 6, the Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. Do we want to please God? Do we want to impress God? We have a great God. We have a great Savior. And we can get saved by faith, but what about living by faith? Spurgeon put it this way. He said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. God help us to have that kind of faith. How is our faith? Do we have a faith that impresses God? You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 
3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.